We're continuing our series on grace, and this morning we want to look at grace and the stories of Jesus. And so we want to go back to our focus verse, which we begin with, which is Hebrews 12 and verse 15, which says, make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. What a wonderful goal for a church. See to it that none of your brothers or sisters miss out on the grace of God. See to it that your neighbors, your community, do not miss out on the grace of God. See to it that you yourself do not miss out on the grace of God. You know, we saw in our first lesson how we live in a graceless world. And because grace is lacking in our world, it's up to us to be ambassadors of God's grace. And so we are to take grace to the world, and the world should see grace in us. And so we need to make sure the world does not miss out on the grace of God, and this is our responsibility. Last week, we explored how grace is found in the Old Testament. And so grace is not this new thing that just shows up when Jesus um, appears. Grace is who God is. And we see it beginning in the book of Genesis and then throughout the entire Bible. And so when we read the Old Testament, we need to make sure that we do not miss out on the grace of God. So this morning we're going to jump ahead to the Gospels and we're going to look at how grace shows up in the life of Jesus. And it's sort of interesting, if you do a word search uh, for grace in the Bible, you will notice that it is lacking in the Gospels. And so grace is a word that does not show up in the vocabulary of Jesus. And this may be surprising to some since we associate Jesus with grace. And John in his gospel tells us that at the very beginning that, that grace comes through Jesus. And so what's going on here? If Jesus does not talk about grace then how is it that he becomes a model of grace? Well, there are several reasons for this, but I want to focus on just one this morning. We associate Jesus with grace because of the stories that he tells. You know, last week we looked at the story of Jacob and Esau, and we saw how there was a connection between that story and the story of the prodigal son that, that Jesus tells. Um, grace is a gift. And because it is a gift, it manifests itself in different ways. Uh, we could say the same thing of love. That, that, that love is bigger than just one thing. And so love takes on many forms. Love is sacrifice. Love is service. Love is affection. And this happens with grace as well. So what are some of the ways 
that, that grace shows up in our lives and the lives of others? Well, grace is forgiveness. Again, we saw this with Jacob and Esau. We see it in the story of the prodigal son. Both Jacob and the prodigal son um, receive grace, receive forgiveness, even though neither deserved it. You know, I've heard people say before that a person needs to repent before I can forgive them. Or someone might say, a person needs to make things right before they receive my forgiveness. Well, that's not forgiveness. That's justice. That is righting the wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of reconciliation, but it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving people what they do not deserve. Forgiveness is Jesus on the cross saying to the people who put him there, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They did nothing to earn Jesus' forgiveness. They did not repent. They were still in the very act of murdering him, and he forgives them. Forgiveness is Polycarp feeding the soldiers who came to take him away to be burned in the arena. And when he did this, the, the, the text which describes his martyrdom says he was full of the grace of God. Polycarp refused to die with hatred in his heart. And he chose grace rather than bitterness and anger. We're told in Ephesians 4 and verse 26 to not go to bed with anger in our hearts. And so we're to choose the way of forgiveness, the way of grace. And so grace is forgiveness, but grace is also mercy. And we see this in another story that Jesus tells, one that you're familiar with, coming from Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, 
and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. We know this story. Even people who are not followers of Jesus know this story. This is how wide its impact has been. And so we see that Jesus spoke in stories for a reason. And it begins with this discussion between Jesus and an expert in the law. And so this person was no novice. It was his very job to know the law of God, to know Torah. He was educated in uh, what answers to give, and we see this in his back and forth with Jesus. He would get an A-plus in Bible class. But then Jesus asked him a very interesting question. He says, what's written in the law, which he knows, he knows the law, but then he says, how do you read it? How do you read it? It's one thing to know law. It's another to understand it. It's, it's, it's another thing to grasp the heart of the law. You see, Jesus and this man read law in different ways. The lawyer, not surprisingly, read the law in a legalistic way. He wanted to do what the law required and nothing more. And so he was looking for that line. And he was thinking, how far do I have to go? Because he didn't want to go beyond that. Jesus, on the other hand, reads the law through the lens of mercy and grace. He reads the law as God intended it to be read. And so the question that the lawyer wants to explore is this, yeah, Jesus, but who really is my neighbor? When we think about this English word neighbor, and I, I understand that the conversation that um, Jesus and this lawyer had was not in English, but we think about the English word for neighbor. Um, it's related to the word nigh, nigh, which means near. And perhaps the lawyer was wanting to define neighbor as the people um, that he lived next to. Or maybe it was the people that he went to synagogue with. Or it could have even been uh, the, the residents um, in the town in which he lived. Those are all possibilities. But Jesus offers a different definition. Jesus says that a neighbor is anyone who is near. And it doesn't matter if the person is next door or if the someone that you worship with or if it's someone that you see on a daily basis, or if it's just a stranger that you meet on the side of the road. It's anyone who comes into our circle of nearness. 
And so we cannot exclude anyone because we have different categories. We cannot exclude anyone because of our feelings toward them. If they come near to us or we come near to them, then they are our neighbor. And and so our neighbor can literally be anyone. And this story that Jesus tells, it challenges us in more ways than one. The, the, The first two people who pass by this dying man on the side of the road, they are a priest and a Levite. And, and so most likely, uh, you know, it's, it's a priest and it's someone who's studying to become a priest. And so these were people who had important jobs. And there were even laws about what they could and could not do. And these were supposed to be the good guys. These were supposed to be the guys who get it right. And, and it's interesting that they, just, they don't just pass by they pass by on the other side. Don't miss that in the text. And so they're making sure that they don't even get near this man who is dying and may already be dead. Why is this? Probably because they're trying to follow the law. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, or has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. How did this priest and Levite read the law? Well, much like the lawyer. The law says this, so I cannot help this man. The law says this, so I am released from my responsibility to love my neighbor as myself. How does Jesus read the law? Well, we're given a glimpse in the Gospel of Matthew. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? people who are unclean. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, does this mean that sacrifice is not necessary? Absolutely not. Jesus goes to the temple. Jesus participates in the Jewish holy days. Jesus commands others to make sacrifices. Jesus is not anti-sacrifice. Jesus is pro-mercy. And he reads the law through the lens of mercy and grace. The hero in this story that Jesus tells is an unlikely one. It's one that the lawyer would have never considered as a neighbor. In fact, when Jesus asked him at the very end of the story to identify the neighbor, the the lawyer cannot even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. The Samaritan did not go to the temple and make sacrifices. 
The Samaritan only observed the first five books of the Bible and not any of the others. The Samaritan did not hold all the correct views on the law. He didn't get everything right. But he did do one thing right. He practiced mercy. Now this Samaritan could have come up with an excuse just like the priest and Levite. He could have said, I'm, I'm too busy. If he was helping a Jew, um, then he could have appealed to all the awful things the Jews had done to Samaritans. And it went both ways. They, they, they were awful to one another. And they committed crimes against one another and they hated one another. And, and, and the Samaritan could have said, you know, leaned into that prejudice and said, this Jew is not worthy of my help. He could have appealed to the law regarding corpses. But he doesn't. He practices mercy. He sacrifices his time, money, and safety to help this man who is in need. And Jesus says this Samaritan was a, a neighbor to the man on the side of the road and commands us to go and to do likewise. To go and to be like the Samaritan. You know, recently I came across a story of a Sherpa. Sherpas are these individuals who help people climb Everest. And this Sherpa was on his way to the top of Mount Everest um, when he comes across a Malaysian man who is about to die. He's in what they call the death zone. And the Sherpa has to convince the climber who has hired him to take him to the top to abandon his pursuit so he can save this man. It wasn't a given. Others had come by and they just passed right by this dying person on their way to the top. They, they were unwilling to abandon the pursuit. You know, I looked it up in 2022, so just last year, the average cost to climb Mount Everest was $55,000. And that doesn't include all the training, it doesn't include everything else that goes into such a trip. But the climber agrees. And so the Sherpa straps this dying man to his back and begins the descent down the mountain. And, and there was no guarantee that this man was even going to make it. In fact, the odds were against him. He was probably going to die anyways, and that's why many people probably just passed him by. And not only that, the Sherpa is is putting his own life at risk to save this man. Eventually, they, they make it down to one of the base camps, and the Malaysian man is airlifted to a hospital, and the Sherpa saved his life. The Sherpa saw a man who was near, and he practiced mercy. 
Now, you might think that's the end of the story, but it's not. It gets more complicated. A few weeks later, the Malaysian man recovered. He was released from the hospital, and he posts this big, long thank you note on social media, but he neglected to include the Sherpa. We could say that this Malaysian man was not deserving of the mercy that he was shown. And I think that's right. But the Sherpa gave it to him anyways. The Samaritan man did not question whether or not the man on the side of the road was worthy of his mercy. Perhaps he did something to deserve this beating. Perhaps he was a bad man himself. Who knows? What we do know is that the Samaritan did not allow these thoughts to impede his mercy. And just like the Sherpa, he showed mercy without regard to the character of the person that he was helping. And that's not just mercy. That is grace. It is unmerited favor. It is a gift. Jesus told grace stories. And sometimes we need to be reminded of the grace that God has shown us. We need to hear the story of the prodigal son and we need to sit with it. We need to understand how much it is that God loves us and the links that he is willing to go to forgive us and to welcome us back home. We need grace for ourselves because we're walking around with guilt or shame or regret. We need to feel the embrace of the Father and know that there is a party waiting for us. Other times, we need to be reminded of the ways that, that God has called us to live in this world. And so it's not enough just to receive God's grace. We are called to practice it in our lives. And in fact, uh, receiving God's grace is just one aspect of His grace. When we practice it, we embody it. And so grace begins to live in us, and we start to understand what grace really is. And, and practicing grace is not just a blessing to others, it is a blessing to us as well. We learn not to go to bed with bitterness or anger or hatred in our heart. We learn what it means to be blessed by grace. And so, make sure you do not miss out on the grace of God. Consider these grace stories that Jesus has told. Consider the Samaritan and go and do likewise. Let's pray. Dear God, we're thankful for this time here this morning. And we are grateful for your grace. 
We're grateful for your mercy. We are grateful for your love that you have showed us. Father, we also understand that these are not just for us, but these are ways that we are to live, that we are called to go out into the world and to be gracious and to be merciful and to be loving so that others may see you in us. May we reflect your grace in a world that desperately needs it, in a world that is graceless. Father, help us with this, because it is not easy. It's often difficult. We understand that as we go out to be gracious and to share grace with others, that we will most likely not receive it in return. But Father, I pray that we would not focus on the world's response, but we would focus on you and what you've already done for us, and that we would keep our eyes on Jesus and the stories that he has told. We pray this in his name. Amen. Won't you stand and receive this blessing from the book of Numbers? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you